We are uh, glad that you are here, and I'm thankful that all of you are here to worship with us and join us together in praising God and worshiping, and certainly glad to be able to welcome all those that are watching online with us as well. And I know this time is a busy time of year, right? This, the, the Christmas season is just packed full of things that, that we have to do and things that need to get done, and it seems like there are more demands on our time during this time of year than, than any other. There are office parties and civic events and school programs and events going on and there's all the cooking that has to be done and then there's the cleaning of the house and there's all the shopping that has to be done. Hopefully most of you have done that, although I'm, I'm guessing most of the females have done their shopping and most of the guys still have their shopping left to do. Uh, and, uh, and then there's all the wrapping that has to be done of the gifts that were bought. And then there's the decorating, right? There is no other time of year when we decorate our homes and our yards like we do at Christmas time. And let's just admit it, sometimes all the stuff, including the decorations, can get a little bit tiring to the point that maybe you're willing to accept a little bit of Christmas light fail. I found some pictures of some Christmas light fails that I thought I'd share with you this morning, like this guy. This is a Christmas light fail. I don't know if you can see, but he is hanging Clark Griswold style. That's a Christmas light fail. Um, but it's not as bad, in my opinion, as this guy. I don't know if you can see this very well, but um, this guy's is a little bit better, but not too much better. Next one, Maddox. A uh, little more effort put into that one, but still, uh, at least this next guy uh, just tells you how he feels about the whole Christmas lights thing. Nah. Uh, perhaps the most creative one, though, is this next guy. Ditto. That's intelligent. But perhaps the one we can most relate to is this next one. I don't know how you put Christmas lights away every year, and somehow they defy the laws of physics. And you pull them out, and they look like that, right? I mean, every single year... Uh, they, they look like that. I, I read a story about this one house that was famous for their Christmas lights. E every year they put on quite a spectacle and people drive from all around to, to see their lights. And this year, you know, a lot of things going on and, and they just put a big sign out in their yard that said, taking a break this year because they just could not handle uh, doing it. And I get that because Christmas can be exhausting. And while I'm sure there are a bunch of us who cannot wait for Christmas to get here, I'm sure there are also a lot of people who are probably ready for Christmas to get over. But I want to suggest to you this morning that what we really need to do is get over Christmas. In other words, we need to get the overview of what God is really doing in sending His Son, born of a virgin, as a babe in Bethlehem, so that ultimately our hearts can experience being overjoyed. And when we let what God is doing in Christ stay over our lives, well, let me put it this way. We don't have to lose the Mary when the Christmas season is done. Do you remember the angel appearing to the shepherds announcing the birth of Christ? Luke writes this in Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Notice the angel says, I'm bringing you good news that will cause great 
joy. The angel was absolutely certain of this, that when Jesus comes, joy will overcome us. When Jesus comes, joy will overcome us. If you read through the Gospels, as I I did this week just to kind of read and and refresh uh, my memory on them, uh, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, I counted seven specific times when joy is mentioned at the news of the coming of Jesus. It is the dominant response to the announcement of the birth of Christ in the Gospels. Isaac Watts got it right. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Not did come, not was come, but is come. His name is Emmanuel. God is with us. God is doing something in Jesus launched at Bethlehem that is still going on even today, and that's why there can be a kind of permanence to the joy launched at his birth. And this is where, you know, we've been in a series for the last several weeks called Joyful, and we've been talking about joy quite a bit, and so I wanted to kind of wrap things up as we head into the Christmas season, but we we didn't talk a whole lot about the difference between joy and happiness. We mentioned it a few times, but but this is where joy and happiness kind of part ways. The, The reason happiness is fleeting is because happiness is based on our circumstances. It's based on what is happening to us. The word happiness and happenings comes from the same English root word, hap, which means luck or chance. And so things are just going to happen and uh, chance to happen that are going to make you feel very happy. And also things are going to happen that are going to make you feel very unhappy. And it's not wrong. It's not unspiritual to, to not be happy or it's not more spiritual, but spiritual to be happy. It's always based on our circumstances. In fact, every week we come together, even now today, we bring both of those emotions and several others as well with us. I love what James says and how he describes you know, this. He says in James chapter 5, verse 13, And is any one of you in trouble? Let him pray. Is any one of you happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And every week we come together, there are some of us in both places, right? Every week some of us are in a tough place and we don't feel very happy. And some of us are in a better place and we feel happy based on how the week has gone. And it's okay to feel both. God never commands you to be happy. But God's word does urge us not to pursue happiness, but to discover joy. Joy is different. We're happy because of our circumstances, but we can be joyful in spite of our circumstances because joy is not produced by what is going on around us. Joy is produced by the Holy Spirit taking control inside of us. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. In other words, it's not about what's going on around us and outside us, but rather the kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And if you get that, then the Mary can stay when the Christmas is over. But if you don't, well, it's like the story I heard about a Sunday school teacher. She taught the five-year-old's class, and it was uh, about a week before Thanksgiving, and she was kind of talking to the kids, trying to get them in the spirit of the holiday season and Thanksgiving and heading into Christmas. And, and so she asked them, well, what is Thanksgiving? Is Thanksgiving that day when we think about all that we have? Is Thanksgiving that day when we think, I want even more 
Is Thanksgiving that day when we think, I want more than anybody else. I just want to think about me. And the kids said, no, that's not Thanksgiving. That's Christmas. <laughs> and so if you're weak, if this week your, your contentment is going to be contingent on all the circumstances lining up perfectly, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. If the food has to turn out just right and all the people have to be there on time and all the right people have to show up and the wrong people somehow don't get to be there for some other reason and everybody has to get along and all that gifts just have to be just right and your kids have to be perfectly well behaved, if that's what it's going to take, then you are setting yourself up for a non-merry Christmas. And that's why I'm suggesting that we get the overview to help us be overcome with joy no matter what happens this Christmas season. Think about it. If you've ever considered that the participants in the first Christmas did not have an easy life, their circumstances were not happy. They were very poor people. They lived on the margins. They lived as, as fugitives, fearing for their lives. They had few resources. They had little to no influence when they were invited into this story, but they were not overwhelmed. In fact, they were overcome with joy. Do you remember the wise men? They, they went to Bethlehem. They found out that the baby was going to be born in Bethlehem. And so they're on their way. And Matthew 2, uh, chapter 2 says that when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They were overjoyed. And I want you to see how joy expressed itself. That joy that they experienced expressed itself. First, it expressed itself in praise to God because joy just overflows in praise to God. Joy just overflows. It cannot help it. Matthew says the first thing they did was bow down and worship the Christ. And worship just dominates the birth narratives of Jesus. Every story you read, someone is worshiping. Someone is offering their praise and their worship. And it's not have to worship. It's not ought to worship. It's get to worship. It's want to worship. It's the kind of worship that cannot be contained by a building and it cannot be restrained by our difficult circumstances. In Luke chapter 2, after the angel told the shepherds about the Christ being born in Bethlehem, verses 13 and 14 says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on, pe and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It's like the angels couldn't contain themselves anymore. They'd been waiting so long for this news to be announced and to celebrate this good news. And so when the news finally is shared with the shepherds, it's like church just broke out in the sky. And the angels had to worship God. Christmas is the greatest call to worship in history. And by the way, that word glorify, I, I, I love that word. It, literally what it means is to make your opinion known. When you glorify something, you are making your opinion known about that thing. Worship is when you make your opinion about Jesus known, not only to him, but to those around you. You let others and you let Jesus know your opinion about him. Luke says that the shepherds went throughout the countryside. 
telling everybody about what they had experienced. And then verse 20 says that when they returned, they were glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, I think about that, and and maybe some of you are thinking, well, that's just not how I'm wired. I mean, I'm just not, I'm never going to be an exuberant worshiper. That's just not how I'm wired. But what I would say is, yes, you can. How many of you have a favorite sports team? You don't have to raise your hand. It's just rhetorical. How many of you have a favorite sports team? How many of you have kids involved in sports or dance or theater or some other event or activity? How many of you have been to a concert or a play or a, um, a game or some other event where there were lots and lots of people? Are you going to sit there and tell me that you have never cheered? that you have never clapped, that you have never yelled words of encouragement or sometimes not so much encouragement at the other team, that you have never praised or gotten excited about any of those things? Are you going to sit here and tell me that you haven't? No, you see, in those times, we let our opinions be known about what it was that we came to praise and to celebrate. And yet sometimes, oftentimes, we hold back far more within these walls than we do in those other settings. I love how the message translation puts this verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 20. It says, the shepherds returned and let loose. I love that. Glorifying and praising God for everything they had heard and seen. You cannot grasp what God is doing in Jesus and keep it inside. And if you're keeping it on the inside, then maybe you just don't get it. Because worship has to be released. When you get the view of how big this thing is that God is doing in Jesus to save your soul, you get over any hang-ups about letting loose your worship. The overjoyed know that they cannot overdo it when it comes to praising God. And joy not only just overwhelms their worship of those first participants in the Christmas story, it also overwhelms their sacrifices for Christ. Because the next thing they did after they worshiped the Christ, it says they opened up their treasures and they presented him with gifts. Now we are born with Velcro hearts. That's how we're born. And and we hold on to that pretty tightly. Not only our stuff, but that mentality and that way of of operating. Our flesh likes to cling and to clutch and to own and to say mine. I've told you this before. You do not have to teach your kids to say mine, right? You have to teach them to share because it just comes naturally. But when you get the overview, your heart goes from Velcro to Teflon. And suddenly surrendering and sacrificing is a joy, not because it's easy, but because Jesus is worth it. You think about Mary and what she sacrificed when she agreed to let her life be overshadowed by the Jesus story. She sacrificed her reputation. She knew that for the rest of her life, some would look at her and think, oh, that's that girl. She sacrificed her sense of security 
She would spend many years constantly on the move, nervous every time she saw a soldier because there was a death threat out on her son. She sacrificed every dream she had as a little girl of what her ideal future was going to look like. She even sacrificed, in many ways, her happiness. Simeon, in Luke chapter 2, verse 35, tells her that a sword is going to pierce your soul. That's before Jesus was ever born. Simeon makes that prophetic, gives that prophetic message to her. And it did. Not only did she have to live with the constant slander and innuendo about her oldest son, but ultimately she would watch him be hung on a cross and killed. That's what Mary sacrificed. That's the story that she was asked to step into. And yet, do you know what her first response was when she was asked to be a part of this story? It was worship. Let me show you how her song started In Luke chapter 1, verse 46 and 47, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Reminds me of the apostles in Acts chapter 5. They're preaching Jesus. They're making their opinion known about him. They're told to stop. They don't, so they're thrown in prison. They're flogged. Their backs are absolutely ripped to shreds by whips. And you know what the Bible says? They rejoiced. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer. Not because it was easy, but because Jesus is worth it. You know, one of the most dangerous myths that Christmas can feed is that the more you have, it will make you merrier. If I just give in to my desire to acquire and get more, I bet I would be happier, right? But Jesus said, you know what, you would actually be a more contented person, a more joyful person by giving instead of thinking so much about getting. So let me ask you, what sacrifices do you make for Jesus with joy? What sacrifices do you make for Jesus with joy? Not have to, not ought to, but get to. I want to do this for Jesus. After all, he sacrificed with joy for you. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice for the joy of getting to bring salvation to us. Because you see, joy overtakes the path of obedience. After they worshiped and they gave Christ their sacrifices, said the wise men were warned in a dream not to go back the way they came. And so they went an alternate route. Now, it wasn't the easiest way to go back, right? They came that way. It wasn't the cheapest way or the shortest way. Again, that's the way they came. But when you find Jesus, you're always eager to make course adjustments. Joseph did. I mean, his life turned out, I'm sure, nothing like he imagined. He kept having to find new places to live and take care of his family, start a business, stop a business, start it again, stop it again, on the road all the time, knowing that the rest of his life people would be talking about his family, about his wife, some of the things that they would be saying would be ugly. I mean, think about this from a guy's perspective. One of the first things the angel said is... You marry that girl, but don't consummate the marriage. You marry that girl, 
but don't consummate the marriage with your wife until she has that baby. And yet, you read, and every single time Jesus is, or Joseph is told to do something, he does it immediately. There's something inside him that compels him to pray, thy will be done, when everything inside him had to be screaming, thy will be changed. Where does a man find that kind of strength? Well, I think the answer is in a verse in the Old Testament. We just sang about it a moment ago in Nehemiah when he told the people, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, Christmas is inviting all of us to accept the call of discipleship, the call that Mary said yes to, the call that Joseph said yes to. It's a call to let Jesus overshadow our story. It's a call to let Jesus overrule our agendas and our ways of operating. It's a call to walk a different path than everyone else is walking. I was very convicted by a quote I read uh, by an author and minister by the name of Robert Capone. Here's what he wrote, I, and I just, I've been processing this for quite some time. I, I just so convicted, and I hope you are as well when you start to think about it. He said, there are certainly many critical issues facing Christians today, but perhaps the most critical issue in the church today is dullness. We've lost our astonishment. The good news is no longer good news. It's just okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's just life-enhancing. And Jesus isn't changing people into wild-eyed radicals anymore. He's just changing them into nice people. I think there's a lot of truth in that. The one who was born of a virgin, who came to earth and gave up all heaven had to offer to be among us and to save us, apparently has no higher agenda for our lives than for us to just be a little nicer people. No, he came to change us, to shape us, to transform us into wild-eyed, radical, committed disciples who are going to walk a different path with joy. And I can't help but wonder if some of us are afraid to follow Jesus radically because we think it will get in the way of our joy. When in fact, following Jesus radically is the path to our highest joy. Some of you may remember the name Chuck Colson. He was a powerful, powerful government official, ended up getting sent to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal. While he was in prison, ended up giving his life to Christ, and he had a wild course adjustment when he was released from prison. Instead of spending his time in the places of power that he had previously occupied, uh, he went back into the prisons to preach Jesus. Well, he got a phone call one time from a man by the name of Jack Eckerd. Uh, Jack Eckerd was, at the time, the owner and the son of the founder of Eckerd Drugstores, at the time the second largest drugstore chain in America. Uh, Jack Eckerd was not a Christian, uh, not a believer at the time, but he was unhappy with the criminal justice system in Florida, and Colson was kind of doing some things along those lines, and he thought Colson might have some good ideas as, as far as how to uh, maybe reform it and, and improve it. 
And so he brought Colson down and flew him around all around uh, where he was and, and, and just wanted him to, you know, kind of, wanted to kind of pick his brain and have him talk to other people about how do we reform the criminal justice system? How do we improve on what is being done? And all that week, all Eckerd wanted to talk about was criminal, re- criminal justice reform. And all Colson wanted to talk about with Eckerd was Jesus. And he kept sharing Jesus with him. And nothing really happened that week, but the seed was planted. And one year later, Jack Eckerd ended up giving his life to Jesus. And he immediately started walking a different route. Shortly after that, he was walking in one of his stores. And he noticed something that he had noticed before, but he hadn't really given much thought to it because he wasn't thinking in, in this new way that he was thinking. And his stores were, they, had, they sold pornographic magazines in his stores. And so he called his CEO and president, and, and he said, I want those magazines out of my stores right now. And, and their, their board said, we, we can't do that. Like, that would cost us millions of dollars. And Eckerd said, do it. I don't care what it costs us. That's what I want, it, that's what I want to happen. I, that's what I want to be done. And so that's what was done. They removed the magazines from all of their stores. Eckerd would later tell Colson, I had to do it. Jesus just wouldn't left, let me off the hook. Why else would I give away millions of dollars? But Eckerd didn't stop there. He wrote the presidents of the other, other drugstore chains saying, why don't you take your pornographic magazines off the shelves as well? They said no, because they would lose millions of, money as, millions of dollars as well, or so they thought, until they noticed that sales at Eckerd's drugstores were actually going up since they removed the pornographic magazines. In fact, the chairman of 7-Eleven was on his board and did the same thing within one year, one year, 12 months, 11,000 retail outlets in America took pornographic magazines off their shelves. And nobody passed a law. Nobody organized a boycott. Nobody got on Facebook and said, share if you agree. But one man, walking a different route, made a difference. Because the joy of the Lord was his strength. Now, Christmas is about to be over, but the claim of Christmas is never over. The message of what God is doing through Jesus is not seasonal. The joy should remain because Jesus is come. That's why Paul could say in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Not rejoice in the Lord around Christmas time and when we sing joy to the world. Rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, I'll say it again in case you missed it the first time. Rejoice. And he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, always be joyful. Not happy because you can't control your circumstances, but you can always be joyful if you have the overview. So let me ask you, do you need a joy over this morning? Is there a place in your life where you have been chasing happy instead of embracing joy? Because you see, joy doesn't come from a present. Joy comes from a presence. And when that presence is within you and fills you, it gives you a kind of leverage over the things that are going on around you. Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, be joyful because you have hope. The circumstances come and go. 
The situations you cannot control, the people you cannot change will always be around. But the hope will always be there because Jesus is come. And this story will end with him on the throne, with every knee bowing. And that hope is why when Christmas is over, you can still be overjoyed.